The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box. This morning, we start the show live outside Credit Suisse's headquarters in Parada Platz, Zurich. This as the CEO, Tijan Tiam, survives a boardroom investigation into a botched spying scandal. However, the COO, Pierre-Olivier Bouy, will leave his job as will the head of security services at this major Swiss bank. And we're also live in Manchester. The British government reportedly preparing to unveil updated plans for a Brexit deal this week. But Ireland's foreign minister dismisses a proposal for customs borders, uh, centres along the border as a, quote, non-starter. President Xi Jinping pledges peaceful development while further mass protests are planned in Hong Kong as China marks the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic. And President Trump's personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani is subpoenaed by House Democrats as the impeachment inquiry accelerates amid fresh developments that the president also asked the Australian Prime Minister to help investigate the Mueller probe. Good morning to our top story today. Tijan Tiam has survived the spying scandal at Credit Suisse. But the COO is out as the result of an internal probe which reveals that Pierre-Olivier Bouillet ordered the observation of the former head of its wealth management unit, Iqbal Khan, without consent. The board of directors said the episode has, quote, resulted in severe reputational damage. Well, Jeff, as you can see in the headlines, is in Zurich for the fallout. Jeff, talk us through the latest there on the ground. Yeah, very good morning, Karen. So the news breaking just a few moments ago, really, from this investigation at the boardroom level and the findings as you've laid them out there, the COO will be leaving the business. The investigation alleges that he acted on his own in deciding to launch this covert surveillance of the outgoing head of wealth management, Iqbal Khan. And if I can just take you back to the decision-making tree here. Iqbal Khan uh, allegedly had had a spat with CEO Tijan Tiam, speculation perhaps that it was a, a disagreement at a garden party about uh, career progression. But the facts are fairly thin on the ground. A lot of this is speculation from the Swiss media. Subsequently, some months later, Iqbal Khan hands in his resignation and decides to move across the road here in Parada Platz to UBS, the other big Swiss bank. At that point, the investigation at Credit Suisse alleges that the COO decided he was concerned that Iqbal Khan would poach staff from Credit Suisse and thereby had him put under surveillance. This type of surveillance was primarily about photographing who he would be meeting with so that they could cross-reference those pictures with staff members that had worked with Mr. Khan. 
Now, the investigation alleges the COO acted alone and apparently took the decision without consulting CEO Tijan Tiam or other members at board level. Therefore, he has decided that he will leave the bank and take full responsibility for this, as will the head of security services at Credit Suisse, who was authorized by the COO to initiate that investigation. The uh, whole story has taken several strange twists, Karen. It has to be said, there was apparently an on-the-street confrontation here in Zurich between Mr. Khan and uh, some of those pursuing him, where he threatened to photograph them, and uh, apparently there was a, a physical altercation as they tried to take the phone from him. But again, facts are thin on the ground here. Only the principals will really know what happened, and at this point, they don't seem to be keen to necessarily elucidate the details on this story. So we've got to the position we are now, where ultimately we are... 55 minutes away from a meeting inside the bank, which will be held for the press, where we are expecting the board of uh, directors, uh, some key members of the board of directors, the head of the audit committee and the uh, chairman of the committee, Mr. Urs, to actually detail what the investigation found out and to take some journalist questions to clarify the details of the story. I will add in, there's just, just one more twist here, which again, difficult to confirm at this point, but uh, a blogger here in Switzerland who writes a blog called Inside Paradaplatz has alleged that the contractor the, that, that ultimately authorized the spying has taken their own life. Now, we don't have confirmation of that. Very few other media outlets, as far as I can see, have any detail on this, but have merely reported that blogger as uh, telling the story um, and suggesting that um, the contractor has committed suicide. But again, as I say, details thin on the ground. We'll have to see what the uh, chairman of the board of Credit Suisse has to say for the bank and uh, on the issues uh, that we've discussed with regard to um, how the investigation was initiated, how it took place and what happens next in terms of restoring the reputation of Credit Suisse. Back to you. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much for that. Uh, just uh, one more detail that uh, came to light a short time ago with the replacement of the COO. Uh, a very swift move from Credit Suisse appointing James B. Walker as the new chief operating officer. I just want to get into a little bit around risk because there have been issues in the past around risk-taking at Credit Suisse, but much more in the markets business, the uh, sort of bread and butter, so to speak, of the business, not very much on an operational side like this. We talk about reputational risk. What do you think Credit Suisse is going to have to do? What sort of tone is it going to have to strike to suggest that it has everything in order, whether it's running risk internally or risk on internal, external operations like this? Well, I think the key the, the key issue really at this stage is just for the bank to uh, give a few more details here to clarify just exactly what Tijan Tiam did or did not 
No. The um, investigation, as it's been revealed at this stage, appears to give him a clean bill of health. Um, he's had a fairly torrid three years trying to turn this institution around. Um, he's addressed concerns around volatile trading. And as you'll remember, Karen, uh, during his time at the bank, there have been uh, revelations about uh, damaging trading activities that at one point seemed as though they were going to sink his uh, career as CEO, CEO at Credit Suisse. Uh, he came through that. He's came through uh, one or two other wobbles around strategy and uh, accusations uh, here in Switzerland that he isn't competent to run the bank. Um, he has uh, generated an improvement in performance across the last year. This bank's up about 14% in terms of share price performance, which is somewhat ahead of uh, a negative number, I believe, for uh, UBS for the full year figure. Um, so I think what we need to see now from Credit Suisse is steady the ships, perhaps um, continue to uh, suggest that this was a, uh, a very much a, a an isolated incident as far as the bank is concerned, and uh, perhaps um, uh, an individual in the C COO will will have to hear what they have to say, who perhaps had a lapse of judgment at some point. This was a an episode they will argue, I suspect, that doesn't reflect the stature and the importance and some of the recent successes of the bank itself. Um, we'll also just mention that as part of that investigation, just to re reiterate the point here, there was never any evidence found according to this uh, investigation that was commissioned by the executive committee here, there was never any evidence found that Iqbal Khan actually tried to take any UBS staff with him. So um, a number of steps will need to be taken over coming days here, Karen. But if everything uh, that is in this investigation is actually factually correct and true and nobody has anything that perhaps runs contra to the story, then they should be able to do a damage limitation here quite quickly, I would think. Uh, fascinating details, though, Jeff. Thank you very much for running us through the latest there from Credit Suisse. In the meantime, markets closing out the month and quarter. And Juliana's been taking a look back at uh, the wash-up of what was quite a stunning performance, wasn't it, for September? It absolutely was. And markets were very resilient throughout the month of September, despite those trade headlines around U.S.-China. And, of course, toward the end of the month, all those headlines around impeachment and the ongoing saga there. So the final day of trade for September saw the Nasdaq close up about 0.75 percent, S&P 500 up about half a percentage point, and the Dow up about 0.4%. Now, the question, of course, can this resilient performance continue into October, which is historically the most volatile month of the year? And that's looking at the VIX, of course, as an indication of that volatility. So that's the question on investors' minds as we head into the, uh, the, the, the month of October. Now, taking a look at dollar crosses, yesterday we saw the dollar index gain. This morning, we're seeing the dollar uh, gain slightly versus the yen, up about 0.12%. The euro is currently trading a touch light versus 
versus the dollar below that 109 mark and sterling essentially flat versus the dollar at around 122.88. Moving on, let's take a look at oil, which is climbing this morning. WTI up nearly 1%. Brent up about the same. And we got some uh, fresh data showing that uh, output has fallen from U.S., Russia, and OPEC in Q3. So uh, perhaps providing some support for the oil price. Gold, meanwhile, trading lower, down about 0.4%. And we'll take a closer look uh, later on at the uh, performance of gold throughout the month of September. But it has retraced a lot of the gains that gold had accumulated earlier on in the summer, uh, of course, as markets have employed more of a risk-off strategy. Uh, And now gold is giving back some of those gains, so down this morning. Let's take a look at Asian markets today. A a very important day over in China. Today marks the 70th anniversary of the People's Republic of China. So Chinese markets are closed. Hong Kong markets are closed as well. But looking at broader Asia, the Nikkei 225 is trading higher, about 0.6%. The Kospi also pushing higher, as is the Australian index. The Nifty 50 is down just a touch, about 0.16%. Moving on, let's take a look at European opening calls. Of course, Credit Suisse uh, sharply in focus today. As you heard, there are the latest details from Jeff. Uh, We are looking at gains across the board for Europe. The DAX is looking at about a 51-point rise at the open. FTSE MIB is the biggest mover, according to opening calls, up uh, 103 points. So we're looking at green across the board on the first day of trade in October here in Europe. Deutsche Post DHL is aiming to increase its operating profit to at least 5.3 billion euros by 2022. The German company says it's targeting long-term efficiency as it focuses on its core logistics business. The firm also backed its 2020 core earnings guidance. Well, Netta joins us with more. And Netta, we've seen quite a strong update from this company around a whole different uh, number of metrics from its dividend to its capex uh, to the guidance. I know you've got Frank Apple with you, so I'll kick it over to you for the latest. Well, thank you so much. Yes, indeed. I'm joined by Frank Apple, the CEO of Deutsche Post, to talk about their new strategy. Thank, thank you very much for joining us this morning. So perhaps talk us through the main points. What's your core strategy? And also, why do you do that now, given all the uncertainty in the world? Yeah, so first of all, we are in better shape than ever before. And uh, we always look forward to give stability to the company. Our portfolio is uh, pretty broad and therefore very robust against volatility. Uh, what we want to do is we want to focus on our logistics core. We want to focus on execution excellence, which made us strong. And we want to digitalize our company. How much are you spending on digitalization going forward? Because it, may, it seems to be the main theme for many companies. Yeah, digitalization will change our industry and will change our company. We want to uh, invest $2 billion in the next couple of years, and we expect significant benefits from that, more than $1.5 billion. We believe that will make our company significantly stronger. Um, if you talk to investors, how important is it to keep a stable dividend outlook to make your shares also attractive? Uh, definitely, that's important for our shareholders. Uh, they expect a continuation of our EBIT growth. That's the reason why we reconfirm our guidance for next year, 2020, and we give a new target of more than 5.3 billion in 2020, 2022. And, uh, and and this shows how stable we are and how much we really can do from ourselves without taking too much a tailwind from the economy. If you talk about concentrating on the core, are you also thinking about adding like to your core business via acquisitions because you're cash flow strong? 
We have a very good portfolio. We are market leader or number two in all uh, businesses we are doing. And that's the reason why we have no need to make a large acquisition. And that is a good opportunity now because if you then digitalize your company, you can really focus on yourself instead of focusing on acquisition integration. No, we have no current plans to do that. Okay, let's talk a bit about the macroeconomic environment because clearly there are loads of headwinds. I mean, must be a headwind as well if trade is going down for your business. So how do you sort of safeguard yourself from those in, from, from that environment? Yeah, definitely we live in a sign of high uncertainty uh, and, and I think that, that is a challenge for anybody. But since we have so much under control ourselves, we believe we can go through that. A broad portfolio helps in these moments. We have businesses like Global Forwarding who sees much earlier the impact and supply chain is very late in the cycle. So we are very well balanced and that makes us very confident to deliver our targets. If you say that you have like the supply chain business who uh, kind of feels uh, a slowdown early in the cycle, do you feel that slowdown in certain regions already now? Yeah, we have seen, uh, you know, that already in the first six months, we have continuation of air freight is slowing down. You can see that in Viata reporting as well. And we are not independent from the markets. But as I said, we have enough self-help uh, to continue to improve our margins. Um, loads of people are talking about recession fears for 2020. How do you see the world shaping up next year? So, you know, that's very unpredictable. We don't know. Uh, at the moment, we are not expecting a significant improvement to the current stage, but we don't expect a recession either. So it should remain in the same way as uh, at the moment, we, we believe. I mean, if you talk about Asia, do you see Asia standing out from the crowd? Because we still see like countries like India going quite strongly. So definitely Asia will continue to grow faster than the other parts of the world. As I said, it's very unpredictable, and let's wait and see. Sometimes the things are changing more rapidly than expected. Uh, one last question on Brexit, because it's like coming up to a close quite soon. What is your like scenario? What do you think how it will uh, yeah, pan out? So we don't know. Uh, we prepare for a hard Brexit. Uh, our people are tuned to do that. Uh, because we want to help our customers in the best possible way. I always say the first thing is we have to help our customers and then we have to talk to, to the customers who pay the bill for that. And of course, customers need to expect that if we have extra costs, we will charge them the extra cost as well. Thank you, Frank, for your time and that you came to us first. Um, so with that, I'm sending it back to you a little bit later. We obviously talk a bit more about Deutsche Post during the course of the show. Back to you. Annette, thank you very much for bringing us that interview. We're going to take a short break, but coming up on the show, a show of strength. China marks 70 years of communist rule with a massive military parade. We'll cross live to Beijing with more after the break. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to CNBC.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nansha, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit easttechwest.com for an application to attend.
Chinese President Xi Jinping has pledged ongoing prosperity and peaceful development at a massive military parade to mark 70 years of Communist Party rule. The procession showcased the latest tanks, drones, planes and intercontinental ballistic missiles alongside civilians and floats representing different regions and ethnicities. But the 70th anniversary celebrations come as China faces multiple domestic and international challenges. Speaking as the parade kicked off, President Xi Jinping said Beijing would stand strong in the face of pressure. Today, a socialist China is standing in the east of the world, and there is no force that can shake the foundation of this great nation. No force can stop the Chinese people and the Chinese nation from forging ahead. Further mass protests are planned in Hong Kong today as China marks its anniversary. Demonstrators were kept clear of this morning's flag raising and thousands of extra police have been deployed onto the city's streets. President Xi, meanwhile, pledged his commitment to Hong Kong's governance system. We must remain committed to the strategy of peaceful reunification of one country, two systems. We will maintain long-term prosperity and stability of Hong Kong and Macau advance the peaceful development of cross-strait relations, unite the whole country and continue to strive for the complete unification of our country. Sri Jagaraja joins us now from Hong Kong where events seem to be moving very swiftly and uh, no doubt the protest is trying to use the opportunity while the international media are focused on the anniversary celebrations to push home their point about Chinese influence in the territory. Good morning, Karen. That's right. And the way that the protesters are characterising today, Tuesday, October the 1st, is not as a celebration. On the contrary, it's as a day of grief, a day of mourning. And that's why you see so many of these protesters who are converging in this uh, city centre area in Hong Kong. Wan Chai dressed from head to toe in black, some of them wearing black masks as well, and some of them carrying, and we've seen pictures earlier, coffins to symbolise the death of democracy here in uh, Hong Kong in the form of British territory. Let me just give you an idea where we are. As I said, we're in a very uh, central area called Wan Chai. We're on Hennessy Road. And if you can see here, this is one of the entrances to the MTR station. This is Wan Chai MTR station. And you can see here the protesters clad in black streaming out. That's not of the station, but from another side of uh, the road here. That's because the MTR station has been closed. 11 of them in the central area have been closed, as well as 23 shopping centres. So today in the central area of Hong Kong is basically in lockdown in anticipation of uh, anything going wrong here. And I'm talking about potential unrest. The other point to bear in mind is that there is a very, very heavy police presence here. As you said, Karen, 6,000 police officers have been deployed and they've fanned out across the city. About half an hour ago, we were up on this pedestrian gantry here at Wan Chai and we were told uh, to leave. Our crew was told to leave because the police now have taken up position there and they have uh, closed uh, the um, main entrances to that pedestrian bridge. That just gives you an idea of just how heavily controlled and policed this event is. What we do know, and it's just after quarter past one here in the afternoon in central Hong Kong, the main body of the protest movement, the demonstrators, will be walking down here towards us in Hennessy Road and will be continuing towards the Hong Kong Convention Center, which has been the main forum and the main venue for the official uh, celebrations. At eight o'clock in the morning earlier, uh, the Hong Kong authorities here tried to put their best foot forward 
and tried to carry on and show that it's business as usual. There was a flag raising. It was outdoors as opposed to uh, indoors. But the main ceremony was indoors. And we also heard from the acting chief executive, Matthew Chung, who is filling in for Carrie Lam. And this is interesting. Carrie Lam, the Hong Kong leader, is not here. She is not in the city to mark the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. She is, in fact, in Beijing. So it'll be very interesting to hear what kind of conversation she has with the leadership in Beijing and what sort of directors or orders she brings back to Hong Kong. So this is the situation here. There is a deep-seated concern that we could, and I stress could, see incidents of violence here, the same kind of incidents of violence that we saw over the weekend. But the pro protesters and the main bodies who have organised uh, these protests have made it very clear that they want to see the Hong Kong public engaged, but engaged in acts of civil disobedience. They don't want any violence. They want this march to pass on, pass off peacefully, because as you said, Karen, the eyes of the world are watching. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.